Welcome to Invisible Histories. In this podcast, we explore lost stories of marginalized people, hidden histories of forgotten places, and generally unearth some cool, creepy, and hopefully meaningful connections for people living and working in the Seattle area and beyond. been quite the wild month of January 2024. Yes, we have really moved into 2024 with a million projects and we're super excited to be (laughs) getting back into this one too and bringing you more exciting hidden history. Yeah, and just we would love to start off today just thanking everyone who's listened so far the dedicated hundreds out there. Woohoo! <laughs> yeah, that's so great. I'm we so appreciate great. everyone who's taken the time out of their lives to listen to our wee podcast. And just for everyone hearing this episode, you could subscribe and keep listening and go back and listen to the first three episodes wherever you get your podcasts. And there will be more coming. More is on we the way. Promise. Thank you for those of you who have submitted story ideas. Uh, we're super excited about that. And we've got some of our own ideas cooking. And feel free to send more in. We love being able to hear about them and think about how we'll share them mm-hmm. on the podcast or through our, our research and presentation and performance and all that good stuff. Yeah. So we have had a few reviews or just nice things people have said to us about the podcast. So if you've enjoyed listening to the first three episodes, feel free to send in your feedback to invisiblehistoriespnw at gmail.com and we'll read your review on air, maybe. <laughs> Yay. Um, so from my lovely friend Justin listening in New York, he said, oh my God, I'm loving the podcast. Great job. Such cool project. It makes me examine our cultural beliefs around the dead and bodies and that you got a grant to help pay for your time working on it. So thank you, Justin. And yes. That's so exciting. (laughs) No, I love that he added that part too, because yes, support your local arts and heritage and history community. I mean, that is ultimately important. And we're very excited to have some funding to be able to bring you stuff like our podcast and like the Potter's Field Research and Story. And I think it's particularly exciting that Justin felt that it shared something new with him about to thinking about like death and, and cultural beliefs and bodies. And that's the type of stuff we want to be a catalyst for further discussion about that and just for thinking about it in different mm-hmm. ways. So Yeah, we are. I feel like this Western culture doesn't want to think about death and doesn't want to think what happens when we die. And in a way, this project has brought all of that to the forefront. And of course, it's about a time that's long gone, ending in 1912. But the reverberations of that time we still feel today of how people are treated who don't have anything or, you know, don't have money or don't have family or don't have any other place in our society, quote unquote, when they pass away. And anyway, we'll go into that more in another episode, I'm sure. So no, it's true. I mean, there is the, the connections to the King County medical examiners, indigent burial program that we've talked about and, Share Wheel, the Homeless Women's Remembrance Organization, which seeks to have like site-specific um, spaces. I believe they do leaves, actually, uh, to, in order to have 
something, a reminder, a marker for people mm-hmm. to be remembered in, yeah. in a certain way. So, And I actually just read an article, I believe over 200 people have died from drug overdoses on the streets of Seattle just in this year. Oh my God. So since the beginning of 2024. It is a horrible epidemic. And that is, if you want to talk about being on the margins and struggling with often a whole intersectionality of conditions, right? I mean, addiction being one of them Mm -hmm. and poverty and trying to get care. So definitely important topics to kind of intersect with. It's not, it's not just centuries ago, right? That's the point we're making. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and we do have some more reviews though, on a a lighter note, (laughs) in case you wondered if we're all doom and gloom today. No, no. January hasn't gotten us down that much. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So my dad, John did say nice professional job and fun to listen to. And we're really hoping to have both of our dads yes. give us a good review. Yes. We thought it would just be so fun to have like both of our dads, especially because we're like middle-aged women, you know, <laughs> and it's just, it's kind of a fun and funny thing, but who doesn't like getting appreciation from their dad, right? That's the best. So, and, um, and my dad's a historian. So yeah, we're super excited. I'm, I'm going to see if we can get a reach out from him about the podcast too. And then I do have a friend who's a documentarian, uh, who's doing a really interesting documentary on Luna Park, the old amusement place like Coney Island, right? Mm-hmm. But West Seattle, it's but much huge. closer. So uh, I'll have yeah. to ask him how that's going because we hit yeah. history. <laughs> I've heard, maybe we'll have to ask him. I've heard that like at low tide, you can still see some of the piers that the that Luna Park was on, like the amusement park that they're still out in wow. the water, right? The, everything is gone that was above the water, but yeah. you can see a few of the pilings. Maybe. Oh my gosh. So like a super low that. tide episode, we could go out Let's there. Let's do a super low tide episode. I love that. Yeah. The faces of the moon. We're working with the faces of the moon now for our podcast. My friend, Michael Falcone, thank you so much for listening. And he said, love it. Glad you're doing this. Have fun, which is great advice no matter what you're doing, right? Mm-hmm. So... Podcast business. Podcast business. (laughs) So, yes. So we have these more episodes are in the works. We promise. We're actually right now working to start recording this theatrical episode, which will bring some of the stories of the people buried in the potter's field to life. So we're starting to do some of those recordings and we'll, this will be sort of like a radio play, maybe with just, anyway, we were, the vision is there. (laughs) We just haven't put it all together. So that is in the works. Mm-hmm. We also still want to interview folks from Georgetown, from the Friends of Georgetown History, about the Comet Lodge, the Duwamish Bend Housing Project, and the Hatton Boots to give those three kind of iconic places in Georgetown a, a platform and share stories about those places. Yeah, since South Seattle is essentially like the the genesis of this idea. So we really, we want to be able to uncover more, some of those hidden histories there with places and sites that people might see every day, but not Mm -hmm. really know the history behind, or maybe you just drive by there. Maybe you don't come to South Seattle and this is your like first, uh, first time hearing about it. And even better then, because maybe you'll want to go visit after that. These are cool and interesting spaces and we're really excited to be able to share that coming soon. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so we did, obviously, in January, we launched the podcast. And just to note that we did this all by ourselves. We don't have a producer. We don't have a podcast network. We, we don't are. have editors. We don't have... We're all those people. Fact checkers. We have to do <laughs> all of it ourselves. So 
it's been a, and it's a great learning curve to learn how to launch a podcast. And actually the Acast platform was really helpful. Like they had tips of how to start, how to get it on all the Apple, you know, iTunes, um, the different yes. podcast networks. So thank you, Acast. Exactly. For getting and us out there. I guess once we get to 5,000 listens or something, then they'll finally entertain the idea of giving us some ads. But I honestly don't really want ads. I love it that we can just do it this way. <laughs> no, so. it's true. We want our own ads basically. So we want ads for like cool things that we want to support around like the local community. So yeah. uh, that's that's our goal too. You know, sponsors, so sponsors if you're out there. Or patrons. Yes. Something yes. like that. We'd love to do that. So we'd love to hear from you. And, and speaking of uh, the business side of things, we formed an LLC, <laughs> or is it going to be? A, it's going to be a corporation, I guess, an S corp. But uh, that's just all the tax stuff. So, right. so we formed a business because we want to make history our business. <laughs> and um, the exciting part about that is not only does it help us facilitate keeping projects like this going, but you can hire us to do historical research and create cool content based on it. Basically, public history is our passion. We want to be able to engage audiences with history in a way that is exciting and different and visual and visceral. So that's what we want to keep being able to do. And it's everything from taking our research, like say the Potter's Field Research and creating presentations like our Lunch and Learns online, Mm -hmm. to actually going and speaking to an audience, to creating Theatrical performances like Mm -hmm. the seance we did for the Haunted History Tour last year based on the research or creating multimedia pieces like my 3,260 Souls piece. So Mm -hmm. really the sky's the limit. We can come up with something really cool and creative in order to share these super interesting facts and hidden histories and lost knowledge. So, yep, we're getting out there. Invisible histories is a thing. Yeah, and one fun tour we did, a really cool field trip that we did with Rose and Patty, who have been our researchers and helping us with some of uncover some of these stories. We went on a tour of the Recompose facility. So for people who don't know, in Washington State, it's one of only a handful of states in the country right now where you can be composted when you die. And the facility is beautiful. It's like visiting a salon or a spa. And the, the tour hosts, everything was just really well done. And come to find out, when you're composted, it's saving one metric ton of carbon from going in the atmosphere as compared to cremation or embalming slash burial. Which is amazing. And if you think about it, I mean, we're all just trying to get back to the earth anyways, right? <laughs> I mean, I love it. Like you get turned into a bag of dirt, yeah. which in my yeah. mind is just a beautiful thing, you know, circle of life and... And uh, it's super cool that they're doing this. I hope it it grows to be a much larger movement because mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of the vestiges of this um, traditional burial was probably based on like health and hygiene practices of the past mm-hmm. and being able to handle bodies safely and that sort of like separation from yeah. the earth. So yeah, and this you're basically each person is put in their own little capsule essentially with a bed of compost and straw and alfalfa and then if you're having a ceremony there people can bring other things right like you could have your favorite flowers you could have your favorite whiskey poured on you or coffee or anything that will organically you know break down and then you're put in this grid I mean it was kind of like a honeycomb grid and I think 
over some amount of time, the body is broken down and the fungus and the microbes and all the things are working. And then either your family can get back a cubic yard of compost, or you can have it spread on a forest that they now have, or you can get a little bit and they can take the rest. So it just the whole idea is so amazing. And if you want to find out more, recompose.life is their website and they are hosting public tours. So I would encourage everyone to at least go check it out. Even if you feel like this is a really weird, it's worth ex- like it's checking it out. Right. Yeah. Super cool. Yeah. yeah. I love that. And we did have um, another visit recently, which we were so excited to be able to actually go and meet with them because We've been talking to Ethel Marie Hubbard, who works with Black Heritage Society for a, at least a couple months now. Maybe mm-hmm. even, you know, we've been trying to chase down some leads on, on various people we found in our potter's field research, but we were finally able to work it out to go ahead and visit their archives, which you may not know this, but they have archives right with where Museum of History and Industries archives are in South Seattle, in Georgetown. Mm-hmm. It all comes back to Georgetown, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so we visited there recently with um, Liddell from Friends of Georgetown History and Raquel, our University of Washington intern. And not only was Ethel Marie there, but Stephanie Tolliver, or I'm sorry, Stephanie Johnson Tolliver, who is the president of Black Heritage Society. And they both have really deep familial roots in Seattle. And one of the things that, I mean, we learned about and talked about is just the depth and breadth of Black American experience in Seattle. You know, I was just putting a little video piece together. We'll share a little stuff on social media about our visit and a lot more about the types of information and stories that we're looking up. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, they were saying that you can see in the census, like there were uh, Black Americans here from the 1850s, 1860s, you know, right from the get-go. And I think a lot of people don't realize that and or don't know too much about mm-hmm. the Black experience here in Seattle. So this is the place to learn about that and see. Yeah. And we highly recommend getting in touch with them for an archive visit if you're interested in finding out more, basically. Mm-hmm. I mean, we were there to do to research our Duwamish Bend housing project, did you want to talk a little bit about that, Carrie? There's, um, or maybe that's a future episode, right? I so. think it's, and I would like to have Liddell. Liddell, talk about it. I know so, Liddell's yeah. the expert. Yes, so we do want to have her talk about that. So, anyways, more to come on that, but we're excited to bring that to you because it definitely is like this sort of hidden history from the World War II period, right there in South Seattle. And speaking of the World War II period, we were also with Raquel. She's doing a special project for both Black History Month and Women's History Month that kind of is able to split between the two and because we're looking into Rosie the Riveters and the Black Rosies. So there actually were um, African-American women working as Rosie the Riveters at Boeing during mm-hmm. the war. And she's been diving into research for that. Josie Dunn is mm-hmm. one of the well-known names. And she actually lived a long time, I think like she was 100, maybe, mm-hmm. or close to it when, when she passed. And so lots of interesting experience to share there. And we'll be bringing that to you later on. So yeah. in fact, it might even make a fun episode itself. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I was definitely struck with the woman, Stephanie's relative, who had been the first Black 
woman stenographer hired by Boeing. Lori Spearman, yeah. Yeah, and right. just that it's not like Boeing put the call out in the newspaper to hire. It had to happen kind of behind the scenes and there was all this competition. Can you even imagine what her work experience must have been like? I mean, it reminded me of that hidden figures experience of the women mathematicians oh, at NASA. Yeah. Like here are these brilliant women who should be given every opportunity in the world and they get there and it's like, you have to use this other bathroom or you can't come in this door or you have to yeah. be over here. Like, I just would love to learn. I'm getting chills. I'm like, I, I would love to hear more yeah. from her about, you know, anything we can glean about the experience of working at Boeing back then. It just must have been, must have been very interesting. <laughs> to definitely. Say the least. Yeah, you're right. And, and we, I think a lot of times, these are the people that are left out of the narrative. You know, people think about the contributions Boeing has made to like Seattle's history, but you don't think about people like Wong Su, mm-hmm. who was yeah. the first Asian American engineer and, or like Flory Spearman. So definitely the type of stuff that we want to be able to highlight and bring out. And we're going to be talking to Stephanie and um, Ethel Marie because Ethel Marie's family actually has a connection to the Duwamish Bend housing project area Mm, and and like a business that they ran there. So we love being able to find these like threads to the personal accounts. So if you are someone that has, has this type of experiences in your family, please write to us. We'd love to talk to you more about it. Or if you want to be able to dive into your family's history more Go visit an archive. I can't say it enough. They're, your friendly archivists are there to help you, and you never know what you're you're going to find out. And we'll be sharing more specifics on these stories on like our social media and mm-hmm. upcoming episodes, possibly. Yeah. So one last little bit. We do have a website now, invisible-histories.com, Woo-hoo. and there we'll we'll have our latest newsletter. You know, each issue will be there. Um, we did put one out in January. We'll probably put one out in February to kind of cover all of this, the, yes. the tours and things that we've done and the meeting with the folks at the archive. Um, so, yeah. And then obviously check out our Instagram at Invisible Histories PNW for just occasionally lots of things we're kind of sharing and posting about there. And more stuff about the episodes as we go forward. We'll definitely yeah. share more there. But yeah, otherwise, Carrie and I are taking turns posting when we have something cool to say yeah. so, <laughs> or fun to share. Right? <laughs> yeah. So coming up for us, um, it is the start of spooky season. It's yes. hard to believe. But when you do the tour like we do, we yeah. got to start early. So we are in the early planning phases of the 2024 Georgetown Haunted History Tour and just sort of regrouping with folks. And so if anyone listening is interested to participate in that, reach out to us. We'll be getting that organized and up and running. Yes, so excited to share these local stories and site-specific spaces where we have all kinds of different theatrical performances for those of you you who aren't super familiar with it. I mean, we have aerialists in the steam plant. We have musicians playing there and actors. And we have musicians playing at various locations. We have roving ghosts, ghosties, mm-hmm. <laughs> roving ghosties, right? That's always a fun one. So they're really, there's tour guides, you know, there is something for everyone. And it's not the jump scare type of thing. That's your thing. Plenty of places to go do that. I totally get it. I have an eight-year-old, you know, boy. He always wants to talk about jump scare stuff, but um, <laughs> that's not what we do. We do 
But we do spooky stories. I mean, these they are definitely the type of stories that will uh, get your heart racing or, or have you thinking differently about stuff or looking for shadows in the dark, shall we say. <laughs> so, And they're all based around historical facts from the local area. So yeah, very exciting to be able to do that. And we are brainstorming right now. I know. We're bringing you. And we've got a couple other things coming up here too, or connections maybe we just want to talk about. We were contacted by a representative of the Roland Denny mansion, which for people that don't know, Roland Denny was arrived with the Denny party in 1851 at Alki in his mother's womb. <laughs> the so only he way was to travel. <laughs> the easiest way to, way to travel, travel yeah. yeah. Uh, he went on to be quite prosperous and built this mansion on the lake shore of Lake Washington in the Windermere neighborhood. And in the 70s, the property was sold to the Unification Church, which people can look up. And so right now, the property is actually in the process of being sold to a developer. Mm -hmm. And so there are some concerns from the heritage historic groups and what this all means. And if people want to learn more, you can visit their webpage at lockkeldon.org, which is L-O-C-H-K-E-L-D-E-N.org. And we hope to be able to do a tour with them in the future and bring you along, maybe do some recording and interviews. Live recording, maybe? Yeah. (laughs) So unfortunately, that didn't happen yet, but we're excited to be invited. So, And you did get to do a tour with noted Seattle-based author David Williams, right? Mm-hmm. Who is getting ready to actually do a Georgetown walking tour, a mm-hmm. self-guided one? Yep. Books? So he's put out a book of walks of Seattle already, and his publisher wanted to redo a new version. And so he's kind of updating and, and had never done a walk in Georgetown before, so we took him around and connected him with Liddell, with the Friends of Georgetown History, and others to kind of put together his the walk. So what? So that will be coming out later this year, maybe. I'm not sure his timing, but um, you know, it's just a, a walk through the neighborhood and kind of pointing out some of the history. I love that title though, "Too High, Too Steep." That's his book about That's Seattle. Such a Seattle yeah, title. I know right? everything, like we said in our previous episodes, like the entire Seattle has been changed. The hills have yep. been washed into the ocean, mm-hmm. canals dug, obviously the river channelized. Anyway, he's he's a lot of fun to hang out with and yeah, connecting All right. with History the literary yes, world the literati, of but Yeah, there we are. We're also hoping to do a future episode talking more about the culturally modified trees or CMTs. I think we've had a couple people get back to us about, Mm -hmm. in fact, some groups too that are working on identifying culturally modified trees in this area in order to save them. Mm -hmm. What's their name? Yeah, it's the last 6,000. Is it like a tree preservation group in Seattle? And then they connected me to the Snoqualmie tribe. Wonderful. Which I believe has some experts, quote unquote experts, you know, or people who have the knowledge to identify trees and and I it is a sensitive topic because these are really special and culturally significant to the different Coast Salish tribes, tribes. right yeah so they don't in a way it's like we want to save them and preserve the trees but we also don't want everyone to know tourists to go up there and mess with them yeah it's it's complicated but there there is this is part of a greater discussion that maybe we'll get into in the future about Mm -hmm. cultural heritage and preservation because there's a lot of talk about the sort of environmental cost of making these sites popular right Mm -hmm. like all over depending on no matter what you're talking about whether it's the pyramids in egypt or or famous trees or you Mm -hmm. know because 
when stuff gets popular, it can get overrun or not everyone is going to be a respectful visitor. So there's sort of, you know, how do we balance that? Yeah. And I think it's, uh, I'm not suggesting a total solution here. I just think it's the yeah. type of thing we should think about. Yeah, the idea of a culturally modified tree kind of came in the news last summer because mm -hmm. there was a tree or is a tree named Luna. I remember this, And yeah. it was supposed to be cut down per the city of Seattle's horrible tree preservation guidance for developers which basically is oh my god not saving trees at this Ugh. point i'm just editorializing here as my own opinion yeah. but i just <laughs> so anyway this tree needed to be saved and the snoqualmie tribe got involved lots of other people and basically i believe saved it from being cut down and so i think there's an interest to highlight these trees and identify them and have neighbors and property owners like aware it's almost like you have a church on your land, right? Yeah, if it's that's... sacred. It is so... sacred space. And it was people that have been here much, much longer than us and the developers. And, and I think it's also important from an environmental perspective, like we talked about, you know, humans are not the only living things here. And in fact, other living things have been here much, much longer than us. So yeah. how do we all work together to yeah. help help each other, basically, yeah. and, and at least be considerate. <laughs> and from a climate perspective, if you cut down a mature tree, which sucks up, you know, millions of gallons of water every year and shade and all these has all these benefits, it's going to take years and years and years for the little tiny trees that the developer replants to do anything close to what that mature tree is oh currently doing. So I just really come down on the side of preserving these trees because once they're gone, you can't get them back and you can't just go buy a 20 year old or 40 year old or a hundred year old cedar at the store. Like, right. right. It, it's just, <laughs> and it just is sad when you see how developers, some developers just go right out to the property line and just cut everything down. And it oh. just is really horrible. So, yeah. And, and this also does harken back to the way that people have been developing and industrializing for centuries now, mm -hmm. this sort of westernized idea of like manifest destiny. This is meant to be my spot that I will claim and make it the way that it needs to be updated, you know, to mm -hmm. to whatever vision we have at the time. The good thing is I think a lot more people are considering sort of holistic effects like of mm -hmm. the land, of the people, of cultures. But there's definitely more that can be done. And yeah. So a lot of stuff to think about, you know. Yeah. We also do have a hidden history project coming up that is super exciting. I just love this because it's the history of Soto, which is south of downtown. We, we like to be like New York and have some nice little <laughs> fun neighborhood phrases too here in Seattle. So history of Soto, Harbor Island, and King County sewer system. It's something that no one really thinks about. What happens when you flush? The old, you know, adage, right? And, mm -hmm. and, there is a lot of interesting stuff to share about infrastructure and environment and industrialization and how the land and these spaces all work together and, you know, what people think about it and how mm -hmm. their influences have been a part of it. So we're going to be unpacking all of this. And, and I absolutely love that we are doing the hidden history of the sewer system. <laughs> and yeah, we're just starting the topic. It is a for King County, actually. So we'll be able to share it in a range of interesting ways, or at least make suggestions for that and mm -hmm. connect with the community about it. So stay tuned. What you maybe always wanted to know, but didn't realize the hidden history of the sewer here. And you bet Seattle is going to have a really interesting one based on the fact yeah. that we've had to, you know, they've 
regraded the whole downtown and they had the issues with flooding and tidal stuff. I mean, if you've been on the underground tour, I'm not giving away their jokes or beneath the streets. That's an awesome (laughs) tour, but uh, they do talk about exploding crappers, shall we say. That joke plays really well with second grade, let Mm -hmm. me just say. 12-year-olds. Yes. (laughs) And older ladies who think that poop jokes are hilarious. Oh, everyone. Yeah. I mean, because they are, they never cease to be funny. So we will also be seriously diving into this topic and thinking about the ramifications of how all this stuff is connected and interwoven and with Mm -hmm. the themes that we like to think about, the marginalized perspectives, the evolution of the land, these hidden stories. So yes, very excited. Yeah. Well, I think that's the end of our mini episode. That went by very quickly. Yes. So stay tuned. I mean, with Black History Month coming up and we want to share more about the research we've been doing into those Mm -hmm. topics and Black Heritage Society. I mean, maybe we could even get Ethel Marie or Stephanie to come on. That would be exciting. Yeah. And um, we've got our Georgetown-based topics coming up. March, of course, is Women's History Month. So, you know, it's it's always Women's History Month for us, though, let me mm-hmm. just say. <laughs> Women's present, not history. Yes. Oh, thank you. Her, her story. I don't know. Fred loves it. Yeah. Like, her story, my husband. So I was like, her story? How come it's not invisible? Her stories? No. Mm. I was like, don't tempt me. No. Yeah. So, yes. Tune in again soon where we will have a nice long episode again. We just wanted to give you a little bit of an update that we are still here. We are still researching history, so you don't have to. No, actually, we want you to also, but just we want to be a catalyst for that. So you can be interested in also researching your own history around you. So and so subscribe and keep listening wherever you get your podcasts. And check out our landing page at invisible-histories.com where you can read our latest newsletter and some other updates. And our Instagram will be sharing some of the stories that we've been doing the last couple, the last month. And of course, we're always looking for invisible histories of the Pacific Northwest. So if you have a good story idea, please reach out at invisiblehistoriespnw at gmail.com. And thank you to Friends of Georgetown History for their support and collaboration. And thanks also to For Culture Heritage Grants and for all they do to support the local arts and heritage communities. And this was recorded at Works Progress Cooperative, www.worksprogress.coop. Edited by myself, Alka Hadala, 2024. Ew. All right. <laughs> <laughs>